All right, all right. Got an amazing guest with me today, Doug Stewart. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Big Ticket Life. Happy to have you on, man. So Doug is a TEDx speaker, certified Dale Carnegie coach and instructor, book author, author of a great book, Five and a Half Mentors, and a national account manager at Resident Home. I mean, is that not enough, Doug? Just getting started, man. <laughs> Doing a lot of things. Just getting started. That's right. That's right. So he uses, uh, he's best known for utilizing original and adaptive methods to help people pursue a life of purpose through enthusiastic discoveries. Uh, most importantly, Doug is a devoted husband to his best friend, Meredith, and proud father to Kendall and Kendrick. And if you want to connect with Doug, the man who's doing an awful lot of stuff, very cool, mm -hmm. one of my first mentors in the mattress industry, uh, connect with Doug, Doug at DougStewart919.com. So Doug, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you taking the time to be on here, man. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. So I thought I'd just jump in with probably one of the most interesting, lasting things I ever heard you talk about was conflict, mm. right? And how you love conflict and you get down on conflict. So I'm going to leave it there and mm. let you explain what you mean about loving conflict. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I wouldn't say that I, I, I don't love, I hate conflict. What I love is the thing that conflict brings, you know? And, and so for me, there's a, there's, I make a distinction between what is conflict and what is an argument, right? And an argument is when, you know, two people draw a line in the sand and they're just talking at each other. Right. But I, I think I've never met anyone who has had a deep, meaningful, lasting relationship that did not involve a significant amount of conflict. And so what, what, the way I like to think of it is conflict is the price that we pay for healthy relationships. And part of that for me, Jeff, came from you know, the, the work that I've had to do with myself. You know, it, it reminds me of when I, when, I, when I first got married, anytime that there was conflict, I would completely shut down. And it would drive my wife crazy. And it's not that I didn't want to engage and fix a problem. It's that I was, I was paralyzed. You know, I was paralyzed with, with fear. I was paralyzed with um, frustration. I was, I was paralyzed because I didn't want to say or do anything that would be hurtful. So I just completely shut down. Uh, later in, in life, as I've, as I've done my work and tried to figure myself out, uh, I, I found that that there was a there was a particular disorder, uh, trauma induced disorder that that caused that, and so I've really worked through that and learned to really lean into what it what it means to have healthy conflict, uh, and I'm still not good at it, but boy, do I do I really enjoy the positive outcomes that that I get to have because I'm willing to uh, engage in in uh, in conflict with the people that I care about. Yeah. You know, you, you said that the difference between conflict and an argument, conflict, you're looking for that outcome, that positive outcome argument, just kind of draw that line in the sand, start yelling yeah. at each other. It seems like we got an awful lot of that nowadays. Um, even with people that, you know, we are friends with, that we love, that we care about, you know, personal relationships, marriage, et, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, so I've seen you teach to this on conflict. Sat, I think it was at least two two day events, I believe, mm -hmm. where this was a big part of that time. 
So how do you like, what would you say to somebody to recognize how to, I think the first step is people just need to differentiate why they're approaching the conflict and they almost immediately turn it into that argument. Is that, you know, you said it came from trauma-induced and you don't need to get into all of that if you don't want to, but like your, the, the way you shut down came from past trauma, mm-hmm. right? Um, is that why people like change this opportunity for positive outcome in conflict? Do they change it from that into this argument where they just have to be right? Um, maybe. I mean, I, I think there's, there's, it's the fight or flight thing, right? There's, there's some people that, um, that, that sort of run from it. There's other people that, that run to it and sort of over, overcompensate when it comes to, when it comes to conflict. You know, I don't, I, I think it's, it's always interesting to, to people when you say something like conflict is a skill, <laughs> like conflict is something you have to learn. And for me, one of the first things that that I learned that was helpful is that that any issue that you have with another person has nothing to do with you. It is it is never personal. There's nothing anyone can do that is that is personal for to to you. And the way you can sort of prove that out is to go like, hey, look, in this situation, if it if I took myself out of it. And put someone else in this situation with that person that was just kind of like me, would that person have treated them or done the same thing to them? And the answer is probably yes. Like, right. of course they would. You know, and then the the other part of that, once you're not taking it personal, is is to recognize why other people are rude, hurtful, hateful, are willing to mistreat you, are willing to uh to marginalize you, is you know, I I don't I don't believe in the concept of good or bad people. You know, my the way I think of it is um, there are only uh, joyful people and miserable people, and joyful people do things that we would define as good, and miserable people do things we would define as bad. But it does not mean that they're a good or bad person. Typically, you know, we we do the same thing. Like I'm less, I'm not quite my best self when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I'm frustrated, when I'm stressed. You know, and when I'm when I'm miserable, I'm more likely to raise my voice at my kids, or snap at my wife, or um, or be or be rude to to some to some stranger, or to 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 curse at the person that uh that pulled out in front of me on the uh, uh on the street. You know, um, but when I'm when I'm joyful, I'm much more likely to overlook those things. And so I have to if I have if I want to give that sort of grace to myself uh, and self awareness to myself, I also have to give it to other people. Yeah. I mean, that's such a, I mean, it's really a refreshing way to look at the issue of conflict, especially as it sits today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I read something two, three weeks ago about, um, you know, how people respond to everyday things in their life. And one of those is when you're driving, you know, if you over respond to that person who cuts you off or that person that's, you know, driving slow in the left lane, like so many people take that out and, you know, myself included, you know, and then I read this, I'm like, you know, this is really smart. And what the person said is that person didn't arrive in your day just for you. They're just Mm -hmm. going through their own day. Maybe that person driving slow in the left lane, maybe they just lost a loved one. Maybe they just got fired from their job. Maybe, you know, maybe they're going to pick their kid up at school and it's, it's an issue that's been ongoing and they thought it was resolved and now it's not. So now they're back in a problem again. And and I love how you said if you replace that person, which is really for the driving analogy, is kind of the same thing. Like <laughs> that person does not set out 
to interrupt you in that day. No. You know, so so is it really that conflict and the way we handle it arrives from almost that that position of selfishness? Like I have to win this argument, I have to win this moment. Is that yeah, is that I think kind of well, what's going for, on? For sure, I think some of it is winning. The the other part is uh is is maybe more about just being right. You know, it's not that I that I have to win. I just have to I just have to prove out that I'm right and you're wrong. Like, okay, so here's here's an example from when I was in retail. Um, you know, we 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 make judgments all the time. And when we make judgments, psychologically, we will do what it takes to make that judgment true. Uh, even if it's to our detriment, you know, just this uh, is sort of a weird human psychological um <laughs> dysfunction, you know, a lot of times. Uh yep. and and so the way I think about it, and actually, I think I put this, I think I wrote about this in the book, is the only cure for judgment is curiosity. And those two things can't ever exist in the same place at the same time. So either you've made a judgment, which means you've made a static decision about who someone is or, or what something is, um, or you leave a little bit of space for you to be wrong and have a little curiosity as to why this is happening, what's going on. Um, and when, when someone is mistreating me or is rude to me, it does me no good to give a sick person poison, right? So if they're, right. if they're miserable, don't give them the thing that makes them more miserable. Instead, recognize what it is for what it is. Um, and then you know, one of my mantras, Jeff, is that I will be the person I've decided to be regardless of who I'm standing in front of, right? So whether you're mistreating Amen me or whether you're kind to me, um, it's my commitment to myself, not to other people, but to myself, that I'm going to be the person that I've decided to be. Um, I'm not always perfect. I'm not good at that all the time, but that that's where I strive. Um, the example, the the example that I was going to give, um, when I when I own my family business, I I hired this uh, I hired this lady to be a salesperson, and I thought she was going to be really good. She was uh, she didn't have a ton of sales experience, but she was one of those people that you look at and just go, man, who couldn't like her? You know, who couldn't like her personality? Um, she was and she was assertive. She wanted to do well. Her first day, her first day of work, she was ten minutes late. And mm-hmm. I, I grew up, um, my, my, my mom was classically Just, late for everything. And if I have a pet peeve, man, it's, it's being late. And so she's late 10 minutes the first day. And I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe she, there's a reason. I'm not going to sweat it. Second day comes 10 minutes late. Now I'm starting to get angry. Third day comes. She's 20 minutes late. And I'm at the end of my rope. So she yeah. comes in and I just go, look, I'm, I'm sorry. This isn't, this isn't something that's working. Um, I, I have to let you go. And she burst out into tears right in my office. And she said, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then she shares with me that um, the reason she needed a job was less than three months ago, her husband had unexpectedly walked out on her and her three kids. She had been a stay-at-home mom for 10 years, and she was trying to figure out how she was going to support her kids, keep her house, um, have a career with no support, no experience, um, no background, and had given herself 
and sacrificed her her career and herself in a lot of ways to be a stay-at-home mom to her kids and trusted that her husband had some semblance of integrity and was going to was going to hold up his end of the bargain. And I was so ashamed of myself for not having some curiosity about why mm. she was late and instead making the judgment that she was just late and that is a non-negotiable for me. Um, and I'll never forget that moment. And uh, I hired her back. So she had been, she was only unemployed for about 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hired her back and... Um, Unemployed that, for 15 minutes and, and Doug got one of the most foundational contributory life lessons that you're going to carry on forever. Man, I, I swore to myself that I would never make a decision about another person um, without a conversation uh, ever yeah. again. And and I've tried my best to uphold mm. that, but that was really a, a, a defining moment in, in, my, in my life as, a, as an adult, as a business owner, as a, as a, a, a father, as a, as a, as a, a, a husband, you know, it's, it's important. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, what you just said there, never make a judgment on a person without a conversation. I'll, I'll repeat it again. So you hear it a third time. If you're listening, I hope you picked up on it the first time, second time, third time, never make a judgment on somebody without that conversation. I mean, really, that's just a deeper, more connected, profound example of my car driving example. It, right. It's, it's really what it is. Like that person, they were doing their, their, damnedest to be there. So what was the, just out of curiosity, what was the resolution? Did, did you adjust the schedule back so that she could attend a like morning routine for the kids? Yeah, it, it, it turned into a, hey, I, I know you're doing the best you can. So get here as soon as you can. Easy yeah. as that. It was easy as that. Because once I knew what she was up against, then, then the question is, okay, so how do you support your people? And for me, that support looked like, okay, so, so who in my network can I reach out to to connect her to so that perhaps mm -hmm. she could get childcare, right? Yeah. How, you know, and that's what there, leaders do. Yeah. And, you know, the, it was it was a matter of one call. Um, the the church that I was involved in, um, you know, had a had a program for single moms. Um, and it was it was a beautiful thing to watch her be able to get a little bit of community without feeling as if she was uh, a recipient of charity, you know, like, like she was, you know, somebody that people felt sorry for, right. She wanted to make her own way. She wanted to, she wanted to uh, feel as if she could have the, the dignity of someone that was doing the work. And, you know, that's, that's what she did, you know? And, yep. and so it, it's, it's, it's important to not make judgments until you've had a, had a conversation. And, and one thing that Jeff, I would add to that is one of the rules we have in our house, uh, is that you are not allowed to be resentful um, toward anyone if you're not if you do not have the courage to address it. Mm. And so you can you can be resentful, but it has to be on the other side of a conversation. And right. boy, has that has that served me because what I've realized is like, oh man, I don't want to face this. I don't want to have this conversation. And as I think about how I'm going to have it, how I'm going to start this conversation with this thing that's irritated me or been hurtful or whatever. Oftentimes, I realize it's not that big of a deal, and so I go, "Okay, then I'm just going to choose not to be angry about that." But the things right. I can't let go of, it's like, "Okay, if I'm going to be resentful, I've got to have the conversation," and that's where the yeah. conflict thing comes in. Yeah, yeah, I really like that about having about having that conversation mm -hmm. 
first before you, you know, fall on the sword of the outcome of the judgment. Right. Right. You know, we can't be the hero and the victim at the same time. You got to pick one. Oh, you just hit me with another one, man. <laughs> I kind of, you know, truth be told, man, I got little goosebumps. Truth be told, you know, that was another one you hit, you hit us with years back. And I think that was in Nashville. And, Maybe, um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, so let's talk more about that. I mean, the hero and the victim. I mean, that's, um, I really hope people are digging this. By the way, uh, through my retail podcast, uh, I made a new connection to Steve. Steve Goebel is an avid reader, uh, business coach as well. And um, he picked up your book, Five and a Half Mentors, just the other day. So uh, just there's a little, I, there's no thing called shameless plug around here. I'm happy to plug all the great stuff my guests are doing. So where do you go get the book? <laughs> Um, is it, is it on Amazon? I know, I know we flashed something on the screen earlier. Yeah, it's, on, it's on Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes yeah. people catch this on the audio so they don't get to see what's on the screen. So I right. just like yeah, to yeah. try to remember we, we share some love for those folks too listening. Sure. So yeah, Amazon five and a half mentors, Doug Stewart. So yeah, great book. But, uh, yeah, so let's dig into, uh, examples of taking the hero and victim position at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah, I, I think. This is this is a trap that I've I've fallen into um, quite quite a bit. I, I wish I could say that I learned this from observing other people or reading or <laughs> some other way, um, but most of most of my learning in this area has been because I've been wrong and 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 life has sort of punched me in the mouth. Um, and so it's it's easy for us to to say I didn't have a choice. This person um, this person like took advantage or hurt me or came after me or and so we take sort of this victim position um so that we can be absolved of any of our our responsibility in the issue um or we take the we take the hero thing and that's kind of like having some moral superiority let's say um to go like uh I'm 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 superior to them because I was willing to uh, address it and have conflict and have the conversation uh and and so I I have found that anytime that I take a, a bit of an assessment when I'm, ha- when I'm in some sort of a conflict or disagreement with someone, the question is, is which, which one of those, um, which one of those am I being? If I'm being both, that's the worst case scenario, because that means I, I believe I'm better than or morally superior to that person. And I'm a victim and don't have any power to make any change. And so my, my question that I try to ask myself is what is my responsibility? You know, and so if you take responsibility and break up into two words, it's response ability. So what is my ability to respond to this situation? It might not fix it. It might not make it go away, but what is it that I can do? So sometimes that's a intellectual exercise to go like, okay, so is this something that really matters? Okay. Maybe they right. disrespected me, but does it really matter? Is this, is it worth the pain, trouble, turmoil, frustration <laughs> that that it's going to cause me or is it better to just go this isn't that big of a deal it's not personal this person would have done that to anyone in fact they have a history of doing these sorts of things to to other people okay so right. now i know this and i won't put myself in a position to do that again that that means that i'm not the victim i'm not necessarily the hero but i'm the person that is willing to respond to the with the best of my ability to this situation to either mitigate it, improve upon it, or, uh, or maybe in some cases even change it. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. I mean, so often I think we, you know, as leaders, we kind of take those, those actions people do and, and internalize it as this massive level of disrespect. You know, you're violating, you know, you're violating the, the, the things we do around here, which really, I, I think as we, you know, weave through our conversation, the failure in leadership is we don't properly communicate what those things are we do around here. Right. You know, like that's one thing I'm working with my team at the store on is our, our mission, which is to change the way our customers feel about mattress stores. Mm. Yeah. Very simple mission, right? And you, you know, this show, we're not going to necessarily go down the line of, uh, of mattress retail in this episode because it's not what it's about, but it's just Doug and I are, are both connected to the industry, but we both do other things. But, our mission is to change the way customers feel about mattress stores. I think when you think about that statement very simply, it guides everything we do, mm-hmm. how we talk to people, how we greet you, how we take your money, how we, you know, when I say take your money, how we find the right fit and prescribe the right, right you know, the right thing and how we deliver and how we treat when you're in our home. I mean, I remind people, I tell people when I'm at like big type conference events and you got to pass the mic and do the intro, you know, I, I say, well, I do business in your bedroom. Mm. Right. And that kind of yeah. yeah. gets everybody laughing. They snap their neck and they start paying attention. And I say, well, I own a retail mattress store, but I literally do business in people's bedrooms. And I mm-hmm. respect that so yeah. much because I challenge people to think like what I challenge my team and everybody else involved, like, we do business in people's private, personal bedrooms. Right. Two strange guys knocking on the door, walking in. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have your friends and family in your bedroom, mm-hmm. you know? And so that mission to change the way you feel about stores really is communicative to our team um, because, and then we have, you know, uh, principles and, and values behind that to better define it. But so many leaders fail to communicate that and I think that frustration when they feel disrespected, would it be fair to say, Doug, I'm going to get your input. Is that almost like that fight flight response of, wait, I'm failing as a leader in not guiding my team, not leading my team properly. So now I have to lash out because of my issues, my own nonsense. Mm. Is that a fair statement you think? Yeah, I think, I think so, man. I think, I think it's, I think for sure, you know, and, and and perhaps a, a variation of that would be that it's it's not uncommon for people to have a misplaced understanding of what it means to be a, uh, a leader. You know, it's a lot of times leadership is uh, is confused with um, dictatorship. It's like you know when <laughs> and and look, it, it happens, right? It, it happens where where this is um, my kingdom. I have created it, and you will be a part of it. Right. And, 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 and the, uh, the qualifier for you to listen to me or do what I say is, is more of a power hierarchy than it is about respect and relationship. And, you know, people have too many options to, to stay in that. And, you know, the, the, the saying that people don't leave companies, they leave managers. Uh, that's true. You know, that, that's a, that's a saying because it's, because it's real. You know, and yep. the the problem with people, let's say, um, leading or managing with an iron fist, um, is that the biggest problem with it is that it works. You know, like it absolutely works. Like fear is a is an effective 
motivational tactic for sure. Yep. That's the that's the bad news, man, is because people do it because it works. You know, you right. can, you know, that's why, that's why, you know, we still have like dictatorships in our world. But the 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 problem with that for people that participate in that kind of management is the second, and we see this in in like political dictatorships as well across the world, is the second that the people have the the ability, they overthrow. Right. Right. And if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> yep. Right. And so if you lead that way, the good news is that it'll work. The bad news is, is it's not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, as a leader, I've ebbed and flowed. Um, I've been always been curious. I've always wanted the right outcome, not necessarily my plan or idea. Right. I've certainly fought hard for them, you know, until proven otherwise. Right. Um, like one of the biggest failures was, <clears throat> and it wasn't even so much a failure as it was, Jeff did his typical thing where he climbs the top of the high dive, jumps off, and in this case, didn't even fill the pool on the way down, said, oh, wait, the hose isn't connected to the faucet? Right. Dang it. And that was introducing a line of sleep-related CBD products into the mm. mix without really understanding and asking a simple question and having a moment of curiosity to say, hey, I wonder how banking and your credit card processor and Google feel about this. Ah, because yeah. they, they very quickly, within 48 hours of launch, said, no way, not happening. Mm. You know, so that was one of those things as a leader, you're like, I'm doing this, we're doing this. And I was so impassioned by it that, you know, no one really kind of felt compelled to say, hey, maybe mm. we need to slow down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and that wasn't so much a dictatorship example as it was where I'm just so bought in on the, on mm -hmm. the, on the idea. Right. Um, you know, I read, I spend time on Reddit and one of the subreddits I picked up lately uh, is anti-work. Mm. And I read it because I see some of the terribleness of leadership yeah. there. And it, it really, I try to use it as a guidepost to test myself. Like, am I, am I operating this way? Am I leading this way? Because you know, I want my people to grow. I truly do. One of the things that I'm working on right now, we have a fantastic delivery driver named Kelvin. And um, uh, he's going to leave us. We hired him with him stating that. Because mm. he's got a dream to have a travel uh, photography uh, business. Wow. Um, that's his dream. And we've done things to bring that dream into our business to help that. But I'm going to lose the kid. Mm -hmm. at some point. I say kid because he's like, you know, 20, 18 years younger mm -hmm. than me. Um, but, uh, you know, my challenge is to keep him, but not kill the kid. Does that make right. sense? A hundred percent. Like, you say people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And that kind of hit me like they do, but they also get enamored with a bigger goal somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And here this person's communicated their goals. Yeah, yeah. One of my proudest moments of a business owner is uh, a former employee, John, that because his career prior to us was just menial, like kind of dollar for hour labor tasks, sure. right? So we brought him in where he was, elevated him up through our system. And now he's running 
he's running basically an entire sales force for a very large, you know, printer, print on demand, wow. print fulfillment, signage, local company and just rocking it. Mm-hmm. And that company could give him as a bigger company what our company couldn't. That's like one of my proudest moments because I was able to bring that person along. Yeah. You know, so I think that theme, like, let's pick up on there. Like, what are your thoughts of helping to bring people along? You know, it, it reminds me. So I've, I've been really fortunate to do quite a bit of, uh, of executive one-on-one coaching in, in my, in my career. Right. And that's uh, kind of like one of your core focuses. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it's something I've always enjoyed doing. You know, it's, it's not, it's not one of those things, especially when I first started, I, I realized pretty quickly, it's not, it's not an incredibly easy, it's not an easily scalable uh, business model. It's, it sort of has to be one of those incremental things. And um, for, for various reasons, but I can, I, I, every single sort of discovery conversation I've had around executive coaching, I would, I would always um, have the discussion with whoever was writing the check. Normally it was their skip level or their superior that would go, Hey, look, we want to invest in this person and help. Uh, we want to ha- allow them to have one-on-one coaching uh, so that they can get from where they are to where we think their potential is. And, and I would always, I would always say to them, um, before we start and before we have, um, before we do the discovery and really understand what the scope of work here is, are you comfortable with the fact that there is a probability that this person as a result of mm-hmm. coaching will leave your organization and you will pay for them to have the insight that will cause them to leave? And a lot of people would say no, and it would end the conversation right there. And then right. some, some people would say yes. And then some people would ask like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Which kind uh, of circles back to like, you're almost creating a moment of conflict right there in your own sales pitch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> expectations require conflict, right? you know? And so um, I, I can remember the last person, the last person I coached, um, this was, this was during quarantine. I had a, had a CEO reach out to me and ask, he said, you know, my, I, I want to be able to elevate my, one of my executive vice presidents to the C-suite. And but there's some things that, that I'd, I'd like to see him improve upon first. So we did the scope of work. He agreed that, you know, this person might have some awareness or something that would cause him to leave the company as a part of the, the coaching, because I'm focusing on that person's development, not on the business outcome necessarily. The business outcome is a result of the growth of the individual. And right. so that particular person um, in our coaching conversations realized that, um, what he was doing wasn't necessarily what he was most passionate about. And uh, this, there was a day that the CEO texted me and said, hey, do you have 15 minutes? And I, and I said, yes. And he called me and he goes, I just wanted to let you know that, um, let's call him James. Uh, I just want to let you know that James resigned today. And mm. my first thought was, Oh, whoa, <laughs> you know, because sometimes even though people agree to the expectation in the beginning, uh, when right. that thing happens, it still can create some, some drama. Right. And, right. uh, I said, Oh gosh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. And, and I didn't know that. I didn't know that yet. And, uh, I said, so where did he go? And he said, well, that's what I want to talk to you about. He said, because he just got a job that, um, is perfect for him. That's his dream job. 
Um, and he ended up at a very, 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 one of the largest companies uh, in the world, which I'll, I'll to, to protect his privacy, I'll, I'll it'll remain uh, nameless. Um, sure. But it was a change for him that changed his entire life. And the CEO said to me, this is a huge loss for our organization, a huge gain for him personally. Um, and I can't thank you enough. <laughs> there you go. That's and what I was hoping was the outcome. That's, that's awesome. And that's leadership. That is leadership. Amen. Yep. Um, it's not, it's nothing that I did. In fact, I, I, I hurt for, in, at least in the short term, it, it hurt the company, you know, because they have this high potential that they had a vision to, to be here. Um, but he learned that he would be happier, more effective. He would, um, he would, uh, he would be closer, be able to be closer to, uh, to his, you know, his family. He'd have maybe perhaps even a little more flexibility in his work. Everything gets better. And it opens space for then that CEO to find and identify the right person that is also going to leave later. You know, you mentioned this this young man that's going to leave. Well, the truth is, is everyone is going to leave at some point. You know, the question is, is how will they leave? Will they leave better or will they leave worse? Will they leave because you've you've equipped and inspired them, or will they leave because uh, because you have damaged or or try you know it's you know, one right. of the things in the in the leadership and management trainings that I've that I've done uh, in the past is I I have I I tell managers that when you take a new role and you acquire a new team, it really their their reception of you has very little to do with you because they are comparing you and uh, and they have to make some they have to have some sort of benchmark and the benchmark that they're using is their last manager. And so if that experience with that last manager was positive, they're probably going to give you the benefit of the doubt. It's going to be easier. Yeah. But if their last experience was awful, then you have to overcome the behavior of that last person. And that that can be hard to, and that goes back to not taking things personal, right? To go, okay, so yep. tell tell me a little bit, explain to me your experience with your with your last leader. Who was the best leader you've ever worked for? Who was the worst leader you've ever worked for? And get a getting a sense of who they are, how they are, and and how and what is the best way that you can communicate with this person, lead this person, um, and and ultimately help them because they will leave. You will leave. Um, my grandfather used to say that, you know, that the, there's a saying that uh, this too shall pass. My grandfather used to say it will pass or you will pass. Either way, things are going to change. You know, yeah. having yep. that perspective as a leader, I think is uh, imperative. Yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, what you just shared there about asking, I mean, again, this is a pretty powerful episode if you're paying attention. Right. And what you just shared about asking about prior leadership, how that person engaged and responded, what they took, positive and negative. I mean, yes, there are disc and Colby tests all out there. And I know some people fall all over that and go for it. Um, you know, I think it's a barometer. I don't think it's a, it's a you know, the on 100% thing. Starting point. That, right. But those questions right there, yeah, because you can, you know, you can manipulate those, right? You can, you could, you could do like the, like, you know, back in high school, I did the CAB thing for multiple choice cap, right? Kevin Hart, he has a joke. He did the abacadabra, right? Yeah. 
you know, so you can like you could both fill out the test and a percentage of time you're going to pass. You'll have a varying yeah. degree of passing that test. And they, those, those results can wildly change as well. Um, if there is a major uh, defining uh, experience that you have, right? Positive yeah. or negative. You have a big, you know, let's say you get married, right? This is a big event in a person's life. Well, that result of that test would wildly change if your if your ultimate priorities in life change. You have a child, you you yep. have a you have a devastating loss in your life. You know, those yep. things change how we see the world. And so it's not static. You know, it yeah. it's, it 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 changes. Yeah, yeah. But but hearing from somebody like foundational moments of the life of people mm-hmm. that did great or not so great, like that doesn't change. Those right. things remain constant. Mm-hmm. Hearing is important. So, you know, we've talked, we touched on behaviors. Um, you've done TEDx stuff. You've, we talked in the pre show. Uh, I say TEDx stuff like it's just the stuff, right? Like stuff like, like I'm like Jeff's drinking water. TEDx, very, very uh, big path to get there. They don't just let anybody, you know. Um, but you, you, you talked in the pre-show about um, neurodiversity, which piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those things that I hear that, I'm like, okay, tell me more. So tell me more about the, the neurodiversity uh, stuff you've been researching and yeah. you're talking on. Let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah. So, so, so two, two things uh, as, a, as a prerequisite before, just to, just to finish uh, a thought that I had when you were saying that about our last conversation mm-hmm. around, around leadership. One of, my, one of my absolute all-time favorite quotes is a, is a quote from Dale Carnegie where he says that people will always support a world that they help create. Mm-hmm. And yep. that to me is one of the most powerful quotes uh, that I've had as a, as a leader as a team member, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a member of my community, is that people will always support a world they help create. So if it's my idea and I push that idea on a team, on on a te- on on someone that I report to or reports to me or my kids, you know, I I know my daughter, my daughter participates better in the things that I want to see her do in the ways that I want to see her develop if she feels like she has a voice in the conversation and a seat at the table. And when we don't, you know, you think about rebellious kids. The time I rebelled the most is when I felt like that I didn't have any control. You know, I didn't feel like I was being, I didn't feel like I was being heard. I didn't feel like I was being considered, you know? So, so that's, that's kind of a, just thought I would, I would share, I would share that. And the other thing when you, when you said, yeah, when you said the thing about TEDx, like it's just doing a thing, it's kind of like you drinking water. Well, the first thing that came to my mind is is try not doing that for four days. Try not drinking any water for four days and see how important it is. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like this, right. and, and that's and that's 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 a a good metaphor, I think, for how I how I got into this TEDx thing. It wasn't because I was some life changing, compelling uh, speaker. It was it was because I sent one tweet to one person one time. And then that thing snowballed and I did the small, I wrote hundreds of small blog posts over the course of six years. And then there was an article that came out in Furniture Today uh, in a picture of Mark Kinsley giving a presentation about how we should um, stop advertising 
on social media and start uh, start communicating with people on social media. I took a picture of that Furniture Today article. I uh, I posted on Twitter. I at I, at Mark Kinsley and I said, uh, I love this and our industry needs more of it. That was my first ever interaction with Kinsley, and uh, he tweeted me back and said, thank you. Uh, apparently he went to my profile. He saw that at that time I had an industry blog that um, I was the only one that was reading it. I mean, like literally I would average six to seven views a month on this thing. Um, right. But I, I saw it as this is my development. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do the work long-term. It's like the people talk about the Beatles where it took them, you know, 15 years to become an overnight success. Um, I, I go ahead. <laughs> I mean, isn't it interesting, you know, um, there it is. Like I, I, I related TEDx to drinking water. Like it was just easy because I know it's not right. Like I, I knew there was that six year story behind it <laughs> yeah. because that's yeah. just the way it goes, mm-hmm. you know, um, doing the work, you know, a lot of my other guests, we talk about that a lot because we kind of all, a lot of my pr- prior guests, we run together in a, in a similar mentorship group, but, um, or in the same mentorship group, but yeah. yet, I mean, the commonality of being consistent is so important behaviorally. You know, I I, I want to get into the neurodiversity aspect yeah, yeah, of yeah. things, but on this topic, you know, I, I say often that you know, people confuse constancy and consistency mm-hmm. with this as the same word. I look at them as two very different words. Right. And, and the example I use is, you know, Doug to use you as the, as the person in the example, Doug consistently uh, is happy because he constantly chooses things in his day to make him happy, mm. right? And, and that consistency, constantly, that's the way I look at the words. I know the dictionary kind of intermeshes them. Yeah. I know society at large does, but I think when you take that in, it now begins to guide doing the work, Yeah. right? Yeah, so I'm yeah. going to consistently tweet whatever media you need to use, I'm going to consistently use it because that constancy of posting daily, once a week, whatever the path is, doesn't matter. But it's that consistency to say, I'm going to do it. And then always looking for something to add value over and over and over. Yeah. It's so important. And that's the definition to me of doing work. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think about the thing that, the thing that led to me having the having the privilege to stand on that like iconic red dot at TEDx was it wasn't anything that I did that was insurmountable. It was it was small things that I did over the course of, you know, damn near a decade that I just I just did and I did and I did yeah. and I did. And and it led me to this this one thing that that I that I think about a lot, I revisit a lot and I and I teach um when I when I bring a team member um or when I when I um when I'm mentoring someone is the mantra is I will do the right thing for the right reason. I will expect the right result with no attachment to timing. And so what we do a lot is we try to we try to say if I do this, then I'll get this at this point. And we don't get to control the timing, but what I know is if I do the right thing and I have the right motive, right thing, right reason, I can have an expectation of positivity that there will be the right result. It might not be the result that I planned. It might be not be yeah. the result that I expect, but I will get the best possible result and it'll be better than if I did it. I didn't do it for the right thing and I didn't do it for the right reason, right? I'm playing the, I'm playing the odds. 
And I can have no attachment ever to the timing of those things. And, you know, for, for me, I was, I was, I was really fortunate. And it, you know, it, it reminds me of this Chinese proverb that goes, uh, the best time to plant a tree is 10 years ago. And the next best time to plant a tree is today. Right. And, you know, do the work over time. Good things happen. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, you know, and, and unfortunately our society today is all, it's, it's all sizzle, no steak, right? Mm. It's all flash. It's all instant gratification. You know, I'm sure you get them in your DMs. I get them. You know, how'd you do that? What's that one thing? Well, that, you know, for me, that one thing is 10 years of hard work. Mm. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, Jeff, I'll tell you what, man, I'm so happy that that's our culture. I'm so, so pleased that that's our culture. That is, that is mostly sizzle with no steak. Because it's shooting, it's shooting fish in a barrel, man. Like, could you imagine could you imagine if every single person lived this? I, I'll do the right thing for the right reason. I'll expect the right result. When do you, do you understand? Do you realize how much more competitive and hard our world would be? Like for for you to for yep. people to be successful. Like once yep. you understand that um, all you have to do is consistently um, evaluate, edit, iterate, and keep going. Good things happen. You know, yeah. so I'm, I'm super thrilled that, you know, there's a percentage of the millennial population that goes, oh, well, all I have to do is buy this $500 social media course, post on, post on Twic, uh, TikTok seven times a day. And then I'm going to, I'm going to be able to, you know, sell my, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'll be an influencer and I'll make a million dollars a year. Like, man, Akuna Matata. It's great. Yeah. It's, and, and I think, Jeff, I got that for my grandfather who would, who would get excited when he saw a recession coming. Because what he would mm-hmm. say is uh, a lot of the people that that aren't good enough to be here will go away and it'll yeah. leave the best of us. Yep. And then I can compete with the best. Yeah. I, I mean, we just, we just, on that note, we just in the decision yesterday, in, in the decision, in the store, <laughs> mm. we went like all inception, like yeah, right. down seven levels there. <laughs> right. um, in the store, the conversation I had with Ben yesterday, and we decided not to go forward with it, but we did in another avenue, was prepay an entire year's worth of advertising mm. for a severe discount. Nice. Because we know what's coming. We know. Uh-huh. We know we're looking at some headwinds. Yeah. And I know that our competition is going to pull back. Meanwhile, we bought up frequency, size, placement, yep. Yep. and at a discount because we're in a position to stroke the check because of all that work prior. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's really, um, yeah, that, 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 you know, I'll sum up this, this section. I've had a screensaver on my phone for a while. Success is the hard work you're avoiding. Mm. Yeah. I love that. You know, it's Fair as simple enough. as that. You're just, you are avoiding it. Yeah. No one else. Yep. No one else has there, there, you know, there is no magic course. Mm-hmm. No, it's, no. it's just the hard work. Right. You know, right. Right. Um, so we touched on it, started down on the road. So, uh, let's talk about neurodiversity and then I want to sure. talk about your boat before we wrap up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. There's that, no structure that, here. That, just, no, that's, no, that's, no, that's good. That works better for my, uh, speaking of neurodiversity, that works better for me anyways. Um, so, you know, d- diversity, equity, inclusion is something that, that has been a passion for me for a long time. Um, I've, I've had the privilege to be in that space, um, quite a bit. 
and um, it, I've I've always had eyebrows have been raised um, because it's not common that you see someone um, like me that is that is uh, so passionate and uh, active in the diversity inclusion space. You know, it's it's not often that you see a straight white American male that lives in America that. Um, there's plenty, there's plenty of that, uh, that profile that care. There's no question. There's plenty of that profile that give, um, but rarely do you see a, someone facilitating conversation, um, Mm -hmm. like me. And, um, that happened because I had, I, I had a real blessing to, to have an experience as, as a young person that helped me to, um, that helped me to see two different worlds clearly. Um, and it, and it really created a passion. You know, I, I grew up in a very small town where everyone around me looked the same, believed similarly, voted similarly, um, and, you know, did similar types of work. Uh, and you know, there, I don't, I don't, I don't look at that, um, as a, as a negative thing. It's, it's the way it's what my reality was. I, and, uh, I, there was also an air of, uh, superiority a lot of times as I can, as I remember, there was, uh, there was a, there was a, a attitude of looking down on other people groups, other cultures, you know, there, I had, I had one African-American person in my entire school, uh, when I was, uh, when I was, uh, when I was growing up and when I was 13 years old, I was a pretty good basketball player and I got recruited to play some really high level competitive AAU basketball um, in a different town. It was about an hour and a half ish away. It was, um, I, I grew up in a town called Sanford, North Carolina, and I got recruited to play um, AAU in Greensboro, North Carolina. So as, um, yep. as uh, Caucasian as Sanford was, uh, it was equally um, it was equally uh, African American in Greensboro, and so I went from having one uh, one black kid in my school to being the only white boy on the bus, right? And right. Um, and I got to see the difference between the two cultures, and I, I can remember being incredibly uncomfortable, incredibly uncomfortable in, in the very beginning because I didn't I didn't understand the cadence uh, or or the or the culture. Um, that that I was sort of thrust into, and I can remember, man, these these guys were relentless in terms of the way they um, they they talked to me, they picked on me, they were they were rougher. I felt like with me, uh, and I can remember having this conversation with my cousin, who was five and a half years older than me and a, and a very good basketball player in his own right. I remember saying to him, like, man, I don't understand what's happening. Like, I'm getting beat to death. I feel isolated. I, I feel like they're, they're just like, they're just, these guys are just mean to me. And I, I can remember him like, sort of like laughing at me and going like, bro, they're not being mean. They're, they're, they're making sure that you're sturdy enough to be trusted. And so mm. like, go back next week and show them that you're tough enough to, uh, to be a part of what they have going on. And sure enough, man, right. I went back and I, I, I realized that um, the reason they were they were um, they were roasting me so so relentlessly is is to test my fortitude, you know, and and so these guys overlooked the uh, the 
let's say, let's say uh, prejudice that I had marinated in as a kid. They, they overlooked the ignorance I had for their culture. They, uh, they, they, um, they were gracious in terms of, in terms of the way that they included me in, in, in that particular group. And, and, and it really changed my life. It absolutely yeah. changed my life and, and helped me to see that, um, uh, and, and I'll say the other thing is, is I felt the safest in that community. And, and in a lot of ways, I, I still feel safer in, in those types of communities. You know, I can remember thinking like, man, if something bad happens, these 12 guys aren't going anywhere. Like we're in it together. Right. And they've got your back. A hundred percent. But I, I could remember thinking like, if I'm at home and I'm in the same, you know, my friend group at home, it's every man for himself, right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and that's, that's not a, that's not a knock on, you know, my town. Like I, 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 I owe a great debt to being able to have those extreme experiences. Um, and it really, and, and then, you know, I go to college, I, I stay a part of uh, being adopted into that culture. I go to college, graduate from college. And I realized something about 18 months out of college is that I had a particular privilege to, you know, grow my hair out, uh, throw on a button up shirt and some Sperry's and, uh, go be white in the world. And there were, there were differences, you know, there were absolute differences between me and some of my best friends and the, and the start that I got versus, versus some of them. And, uh, I became more and more passionate about the, about equity, uh, about diversity, about include, uh, complete inclusion. And then when I started working on myself, uh, I, I noticed, and this this really sort of surfaced when I first got married. I, I realized, you know, like I mentioned, I would I would shut down. I would um, I, I would you know have these like really really these high peaks and valleys emotionally. Um, my my body in a lot of ways is when I was a retailer was breaking down. Um, I would I would go through these these long bouts of of depression, even worse than what I had had previously through high school and college, which I struggled with a lot of anxiety. Uh, and I and I started I started therapy, and I, I had some diagnosis before, but then I, I received some more and started to really really understand myself and realize that um, in a lot of ways, some some perhaps genetic, and then definitely some that were trauma induced. Um, some, some things that, that I had to overcome. Um, and so like, as an example, like I was, uh, diagnosed at a, at a pretty early age with like ADHD, uh, dyslexia. Um, as in high school, I was diagnosed with a, with a sort of a strange form of narcolepsy, which was a, which was a, a, a trauma response. So it's like fight, flight, or freeze. My right. the freeze was like, I would, I would just almost immediately go to sleep. Like it was my brain's way of going, I can't deal with this thing that is, that is impacting me. And so I would literally sit back and I would fall asleep. And, um, you know, since then I I was, I was diagnosed with bipolar type two and, uh, a a sort of a rider for ADHD, which is called RSD, which is called rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Um, and that's, that's sort of where my, my love for conflict came from, because it was really the only way that I could earn the right proof to myself that this is something that I can impact. And it's not a, it's not a quote death sentence, right? It's not, right. It's, it's, I can't, I'm not the victim of this. I'm not the hero of this. I have an ability to respond to these things. And some is, you know, some is awareness, some is journaling, some is therapy, some is medical intervention. And, um, 
And I've realized that diversity isn't just about culture, nationality, orientation. Uh, and, and a lot of times, one of the diversity topics that gets overlooked is neurodiversity. You know, that's so, so from a, from an identification standpoint, that's things like, you know, dyslexia, that's things like, um, uh, autism, that's things like Mm. down syndrome, that's things like ADHD, that's things like bipolar one, bipolar two, um, and, and really any kind of like cognitive developmental, um, primarily cognitive, um, disorder that's either genetic trauma induced or for some, for some other reason. Um, and so I've, I've done a lot of work in the, that area as, as a way to help not only people that struggle with those sorts of things and deal with those sorts of things, um, how to accept that, how to talk about it, how to share with your, you know, if you have a, a disorder, I, I've got a, a good example is I had a, um, I had a review with a, with a leader, with my manager once, like a year in review sort of a thing. Right. And they said, you know, one of, the one thing that I would like to see improved is, you know, you let a lot of things kind of fall through the cracks. Like sometimes you don't get to emails as quickly as you should. Sometimes, you know, it's the small things, the small details you have a hard time with. I'd like to see you improve on that. And because I had done the the work and I knew myself well enough, my response was, um, you're right. I, I do. And that is likely not something that's going to improve. Right. And I will commit that I will do my best to only let the things that slip through the cracks will be the things that are small enough to slip through cracks, <laughs> right? right? I'm not going to miss right. the big things, but there's going to yeah. be things like that's going to happen and I'm doing the best I can. And then, and then describing and being transparent about, Hey, look, this is something that, that I, that I work on. This is something that, um, that this is, is a why part these of things me. happen. It's a part of who I am, right? And yeah, and there yeah. there are um, there are there's shadow and sunlight when it comes to those things. Like, you know, like as an example, dyslexia is a good example. So I my reading comprehension, I'm I'm going to be 39 this year in December. My reading comprehension right now is somewhere on a fifth or sixth grade level. So if I read wow. something and I need to recall it. Um, that also sort of cascades over into my ability to spell my grammar. Um, that's why my in the if you open my book, it'll say um, it'll in the in the appreciation the very front. I I dedicate it to my kids and my wife, and then I say um, all all grammatical errors, all spelling and grammatical errors are compliments of dyslexia, right? Because it's mm. a part of who I am, you know. So. Right. The, right. that's the, that's the shadow, right? The shadow of my dyslexia is I'm going to have some misspellings. I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to be perfect in my grammar. And if you send me a long email, I likely will either not respond or not understand it. <laughs> right. Um, right. But the, but the, the sunlight to that shadow, the other side of it, it means that I have a, a talent and a, and a propensity to be a better storyteller, to to be able to communicate uh, verbally at a at a at a higher level, to be able to retain, uh, recall, and remember um, audible information that comes in, and in a way that most people aren't able to, right? And so, right. recognizing what is the shadow of this thing that I struggle with, what is the sunlight, right? It's like people have gone through some mm. really tough times, right? Really traumatic events, and. And and I've I've got a few that I could I could easily recall, 
But the question is, is like, okay, this happened. It was terrible. It was awful. The shadow is, man, I suffered through this. I had pain. Maybe, maybe it caused me to suffer, uh, to, 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 to participate in some sort of addictive behavior, which is something that I've struggled with as well. Um, but what's the, what's the sunlight on the other side of that? Well, I have a deeper understanding of what it means to hurt. I have a deeper right. understanding for, for perhaps how I can support someone that has been hurt or is that hurt or, or is, or is hurting. Um, I have, I have more empathy. I, um, I'm more compassionate. Right. And, and it's one of the things, yeah. man, I talk about in my book is like the people that hurt us, the, the people, uh, that hurt us can be our best teachers if we let them, right. They abandon us. Well, we, we can learn self-reliance. Uh, they marginalize us. We can, we can learn self-care, right. And, and right. on and on and on. Well, I think you're going to love, so, so I have to, we have to kind of wrap up because I've got a great producer. I think you could tell that. Uh, yeah, yeah, We're yeah. very organized here. Chris from Cast Ahead does a fantastic job. Uh, Chris is living his own big ticket life, supporting his family. He's got something he needs to do today. Uh, so I don't want to like abruptly cut it short, but we will pick back up on this because I'm going to kind of drop something forthcoming. And I think, Doug, you're going to love. So part of, uh, you know, and I think if you're looking for a mentor, you should always ask the question, how are you being mentored of mm -hmm. the person you're looking to mentor you? Because it's, you know, they should be being mentored and being guided. One of the ways I'm guided is through Apex, one of the largest network masterminds out there. Within that group, I'm bringing forward Robert Nelson, who uh, is a fantastic guy. He was one of the, one of the first uh, guys on the streets for Obama's Brothers Keepers program mm -hmm. going back about 10 years. And him and I are going to kind of highlight the successes of people in Apex, who have achieved success despite being told they can't, despite having lived experiences you nor I haven't had. Mm -hmm. And we're going to highlight what they've done because my commitment, the box I want to create for people to stand on, especially kids in our schools today, is that they can achieve. And here are examples of people like them, yeah. the same struggles they've had. So with that said, I'll probably circle back to having you be a part of that because I didn't even really know what neuro, what you meant by neurodiversity. It just mm -hmm. really peaked it. It went down on my little note list that we checked the box to talk about. And I'm glad we did because I mean, man, that, that understanding the shadow people deal with it. it yeah. Why can't you read a long email? I can read a long email. Well, like <laughs> right. Doug doesn't not want to read a long email. It's just, it's a problem. Right. And you found a way to work through it. So I'll invite you back. I'll invite you in to be a part of that because I think it's important. And yeah, I love that. you're going to bring a, you're going to bring a unique experience to it too. So we're going to, it'll be a pretty, we're still kind of gelling out the format and where it's going to go, but it's mm -hmm. going to happen. I've just vocalized it. So it'll happen. And, uh, and that's that. And we'll get to talk about all the other cool stuff you do. Your boat, finding the balance of, you know, how you said you, you're ruthlessly bad at vacations. We'll talk about that too. But, um, but man, this has been just a pleasure. It's, it's like been so fun to uh, to bring you on the show and hear what you have to say. I hope our listeners have loved it. And uh, man, this was an honor. So thanks. Thanks for being on the show and taking the time today. Really appreciate yeah. you, Doug. Feelings mutual, man. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. All right. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. And we'll see you next week on The Big Ticket Life. <laughs>